Hello everyone, I'm Josh Oaks, and today we're talking about how to connect with students in a meaningful way. I have an awesome, awesome person on here today. His name is Philip Andrew. He comes at us live from Los Angeles. No matter where you're listening to us today, whether the podcast, YouTube, Facebook, or anywhere else on the interwebs, I'm honored that you would spend time with us here today to listen to my friend, because we're really talking about something that is probably the most important thing, how to connect with students in a meaningful way so that we can keep them safe online, smart online, and make sure they are growing up in an awesome way so they become great adults that look out for others. Philip, Andrew, welcome, my friend. Hey, thank you so much for, for having me. It's, it's great to, uh, to talk with you, and I'm excited. Hey, so, all right, so you're in LA. You've got a really great background. You talk to students as well. You, have, uh, you give presentations. We get to meet and, and talk about what you're doing. Talk to me about some of your tips for parents that might that, that might be wanting to be want to connect with their kids a little bit more. Definitely. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's been such an amazing thing to be able to go into the schools and connect with kids and, and kind of talk and, and to learn more and not just, you know, I, I love studying and I think it's important to, to read and study as much as possible, but you got to be out there mixing it up with the kids. And I think it's, um, you know, it's nice for me being, I'm not a teacher, uh, I'm not a parent, so I'm, I get to connect with kids in a way that uh, they're able to communicate with me in a way that they don't already have like a, uh, a certain way of talking to parents or to teachers. Like I kind of get to be a little bit more authentic and vulnerable in a different way, uh, which gives me a unique perspective on, on handling and dealing with kids. And, you know, I think one of the, the, the best things that I've learned, and it, it seems like it should be obvious, because when I, when I put myself in the shoes of a kid, I totally get it, but... I try to always, when I talk to kids, I always talk to them like they're five years older than what they really are. Mm. Um, always giving them that. Because I, re, you know, if we remember when we're kids, you want to be adults so bad. Like you want to be grown up. You want to be help, like, you're so used to everyone talking to you in a, like, oh, we've got to teach you something. Oh, you don't know yet. Oh, you'll learn when you get older. And everything you get taught is this like, hey, you're not there yet type of mentality. You're not ready. We can't talk to you. We won't treat you. Like one day you'll be at a different level. And that's annoying. Like, as a, you know, like I imagine if you were, if we're our age now and everyone we encountered dealt with us like that, like if everyone talked to us, like we were, you know, not there yet, it'd be frustrating. Um, so I think, you know, that's number one. And I think as parents, right, like, we want to we wanna be able to help our kids and we, and we are those mentors. We are that role. We have to raise them. And, and I'm not telling you to like cut that out and just be their best friend because I don't think that's the healthiest either. But there is a certain level to when you give kids a certain responsibility and you treat them a certain way, they rise to it. They want to rise to that occasion. And it, and it allows them to think like when you tell them, hey, you're only a, seven, a seventh grade thinker, then they stay there challenge them, give them the, the, you know, the, the, you know, longitude to be able to like level up in a way and think outside of that, give them permission to do that. And, and I think a lot of kids will surprise you and, and really shock you with uh, their insight. That's a great tip. I love that. Cause we talk a lot about treating kids like adults, but you are more tactical than that five years above, which, which is amazing. Um, talk to us about how we can tell kids that they can always come to us if they have a problem. Definitely. I think that is, I think there's a part of us, right, that 
there's a lot of times we think we're doing, we think we've done enough and we think we've done like our, our point, right? Now there's a lot of times you'll hear adults or we say it as, as communication with our friends that, hey, if you need anything, I'm there for you. I got your back. Like you can, hey, if you're going through something, you can let me know. And we think that that's like, that's great. And it is good to have that connection, but it's got to go a level deeper, right? Like you don't just magically know how to be authentic and vulnerable. Like you're, most people aren't just throwing their feelings out all the time and talking about it and being able to, sh- a lot of people aren't that way. Mm-hmm. And how else, like anything, how else do you discover how to do something? You have to learn it and you have to see it being done. Um, so I think a lot of times where we, we can make mistakes as adults, as, as teachers, as parents, as principals, is we think that just by saying it, we've done enough. When the truth is we have to be able to model vulnerability for kids, for kids to really be able to understand what it is, what it looks like. They have to see it first. It's not, hey, just take my word for it. Like, tell me what you're going through and tell me about your struggles. Tell me what's going on at home. And I'm here to help. Because then there is that feeling of like, well, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and no one wants to feel that way, right? Mm-hmm. But as a kid, if we, if we were able to say like, hey, here's something that I experienced when I was your age, right? Like I dealt with this. Um, and, and just really allowed them to see and, and witness what vulnerability looks like. Yeah. And we and then, model that. Yeah. And, and then, then adults, they are able to take on. And then it's not uncool to ask for help. Totally. And I think that that's, um, I, I do think that the, I don't know if it's much of calling a stigma. I think that that message is definitely out there a lot now, right? Like, hey, you can share what's going on, communicate, talk. And I think that there, we have done a better a societal thing. I think a lot of people are a little bit more open at sharing those things. Um, but I think it's, it's also being able to let them know that and also really listen to it too. Like when you're, you know, like I'm 33 years old. I know as an adult that like, I like to believe like I probably at 40 will look back at the issues that I had at 30 and be like, man, you had it so good, dude. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but that doesn't help me today. Right. So there's moments as adults when we, you know, we get in that mindset of like, oh, that's just an eight year old's problem. Like it's not that big. It's a 13 year old's problem. It's a 16 year old's problem. Like they'll grow out of it. It's not that big of a deal. But when you're 15, when you're 16, when you're 17, like the, your problems, they are, it's your whole world, you know? So we have to, as adults, we have to take that serious. And like the, you know, you, you ask a kid to be vulnerable. You ask a kid to share what's going on. And then he does. And if you, if we don't take that seriously, or if we don't give that, it's, it's due. Um, I, I don't know what the, if we just don't, yeah, if we don't take it seriously, and if we don't really like, listen to them and try to help them through it, then they just feel like, oh, cool. You asked for my problem. I gave it to you. You don't even care. Then like, I guess I'm on my own still. And so it's really important that I think we take their, we take everyone's concerns seriously and don't try to diminish it under some like, oh, they're just a little kid. They'll grow out of it. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying mentor vulnerability. 100. We need, we need more mentors and, and we need less uh, you know, less complainers, you know, like it's so easy for us uh, to, to get caught up in the, this is wrong and this is wrong in society and ah, oh, it's going to, you know, it's all going downhill and it's so easy to kind of get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is we don't, we don't need more problem finders. We need more solution finders. 
We need people to find the solutions. We need people to, to step up and say, hey, you know what? Sure, society's not, we're not batting a thousand percent right now. There's areas that we can improve. And instead of just being angry about that, like, let's take some responsibility and say, hey, how can we be part of the solution? How do we mentor kids? How do we, how do we show up and, and model these the model, the right characteristics that kids should be, you know, growing up and in, in learning. I think that's one thing that I really, I, I've really started to experience is everyone has different upbringings. Everyone has different situations. And look, I'm not saying anything that is monumentally new, right? But a lot of times we forget that like some people just don't know what they don't know. And all, it's going to take you. It's going to take me. It's going to take the person listening to this to say, you know what? I want to be part of solution. I want to mentor. Um, what can I do? How do I get involved in a positive way? How do I help kids? And that's what we need. We need more people stepping up to be mentors and less people just pointing fingers and blaming at, at a system that they think is so flawed. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because we talked to, uh, with a lot of parents about getting a student a mentor it does take a community it does take a village to raise that child and we talk a lot about that and you know you just bring up a really great point there's big brothers and big sisters of los angeles mm -hmm. and that's really great for kids that might be missing a parent or something but i would argue that that program is great for every child because a lot of parents go nope we're great we're married everything's good but they don't they aren't looking enough for uncle bill who's the successful person in business or aunt Sally, who's an amazing executive inspiring that kid to model that great behavior. Cause parents that are listening to this are probably thinking what, well, I don't know what they're thinking, but I do know that a lot of parents come to me saying, yeah, but I'm not good at this or I'm, I'm all they've got, or no, you actually have a lot of friends, a lot of family, a lot Tons of people of around you that when I was young, this is something my dad did for me. He said, here's 20 bucks, go buy that person lunch and learn from them. And we didn't have a ton of money, but he would say, here's $20, learn from that person because they're doing something that's so great that we and our family don't have. But I thought that was really humble of him to say, and it's so true nowadays. And now I've got all these lunches I've gone on with people who are my mentors. And without that, I would just have an awesome person, my mom, my dad, and all these people. But now I have a huge network to learn from to be the best Josh I can be. And I like what you're saying there is mentoring students. Um, so think, talk to me a little bit more. What do you, what do you teach students um, on how they, what would you tell a student if they're not feeling good enough? Definitely. Uh, I want to address that. But real quick, I just want to say, because you brought up something great in the last thing. And, and, and there was a fantastic book that came out a few years ago that I, that I read that I loved. It was called The Price of Privilege. Mm. And it was talking about how often, you know, there used to be a time where at risk meant, oh, it's a low income area. There's problem in a, like, and now there's people that believe that that term at risk is every kid, you know, like they, they are seeing massive amounts of, uh, you know, anxieties, mental health issues coming out of households, household incomes of 125K or higher. Mm -hmm. Right. So this, this idea that because of your financial status in the community or your success as a business person or, or work, whatever it is, that your kid is not susceptible to some of this stuff. Um, there's certain areas, there's, you know, there's a, you know, there's high schools in Northern California that have been nicknamed, you know, uh, suicide high. These schools that have had massive high levels of suicide that are in some of the most affluent areas in the country. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, you touched on it a little bit. I just really want to let people know if you are coming from like, like, I don't want you to think that a don't think that you're immune to these problems. And also don't think that 
the kids that you might be going or the, your, the people you're working with might not be having some of these same issues. Like we're all in this thing together and we're here to support each other. And it's not about, Hey, keep your problems inside your household and like deal with it yourself and keep it quiet. Like we should be communicating with each other, helping each other along. And I love what you said. It is that hey, it's cliche, but like it takes a village. It's very true. Um, I just wanted to get that out there because I think it, it was a, a very, very mind or uh, you know, eye opening book when I read it in the research and I started diving into it. And it really is important, I think, for a lot of parents to understand. The next question you said, and, yeah. and, and it was uh, communicating with kids that feel, what was it? Yeah. Now let's, let's dive into what we just said just a little bit more. Sure. Um, I'm going to share my screen. Everybody that's listening to this on the podcast, uh, I, I'm going to read it through with you. But my sister sent me something yesterday and I had a talk with a principal about suicide at a school. I'm feeling like we should dive into this for a sec. A lot of students are on their phones so much at this one school that because they're listening to other students that might want to take their life or do something bad. My sisters sent me this yesterday. I'm reading this for everybody right now. Our daughter's nightly struggle. We put the device to bed and were shocked by what she said. Now you may think that, and I'm just going to, do you mind if I read this here real quick? Go for oh. it, man. This is, this needs, this needs attention. This is, this is amazing. Now this is start. I reached out to these people to say, can we, can we get you on the podcast? You're going to love this. My daughter is 16 and like all teens deals with social drama and ups and downs. I want her to have a cell phone for safety, but last year I began to realize that she was using it for much more than that. She was staying up late night texting on social media and the beautiful daughter I know and love was quite frankly becoming awful to live with. They hit on a lot just right there by saying she's up late at night. After investigating her hours of late night phone use, which for a technology challenged mom like myself was not an easy task, my husband and I decided it was time for us to start putting her device in our room at bedtime. I honestly had no idea how much this decision would impact her. After she blew up in anger, she began sobbing and puddling on the floor. As I held her, I just listened, listened to all the worries and fears fitting in and keeping up. But there was something even more alarming that kept her up at night. My daughter had been counseling another teen late at night who was suicidal. Her huge heart had been on high alert. She had to stay up and be available at all times in case her friend needed her. We were able to talk, really talk. Well, she talked and I held my breath hoping that it wouldn't stop. She shared all her social circle drama, the comments on social media she had to keep up with, the sleepovers and parties she saw that she knew she wasn't invited to, and most importantly, how she was single-handedly owning responsibility for her friend's life. My teen was relieved when we talked through how to break the silence and get her, her friend help, real help, and that it wasn't my daughter's responsibility to carry that burden, especially not alone. Together, we came up with a plan to involve adults who can support her friend and break the silence over suicidal thoughts. After the dust settled and we stuck to our new no phone at bedtime rule, I was amazed at, at the challenges we saw or the changes we saw. I could tell that my girl was so relieved, much like setting limits with a curfew. She needed that structure from us to take the pressure off. Also, while initially it was an adjustment for all of us at bedtime to take the phone, 
not going to lie, some days were harder than others, depending on what was going on socially. After a while, it became routine. She began to use our limits to protect herself too, telling peers her mom and dad were taking the phone. We gave her permission to blame us on any lameness. Amazing. She got sleep. She was less irritable and saw, I saw my beautiful girl come back. Navigating this technology thing is not fun for parents or our teens, but I will fight for our daughter's health. And I'm happy to report that this battle was worth it. Now this is WeStartNow.org. This was from January 13th. And this is from Allison in Overland Park, Kansas. I want to give her full credit for this. Unbelievable. If... Imagine, you know, you and I and anyone that's listening, no matter what age you're at, imagine right now that you had a friend that was placing that on you, that was putting that as I'm 33. And I think of if I, you know, if I didn't know anything about suicide prevention and I didn't know anything about like what to do, how to get somebody help. And I thought that like, I wanted to care. I wanted to be helpful. I wanted to be there for this person, uh, but I didn't really know like the amount of stress and anxiety that that would create knowing that you, it, taking on the responsibility of somebody else's life is it's, it's so difficult for us as adults. And now how much does that get magnified for a kid? Yeah. An adult that doesn't know. And it's like, you know, that's, you, and you think your heart's in the right place because you want to help this person. But what the truth is, it is a, it's an enabling thing. Like that girl that she was talking, like needed the help, needed professional help. It's not any of our jobs who don't have that level of training or we would be enabling that problem. And so yeah. I think it's like, it's A, I'm glad that they were able to discover what that is. Like that is just, that is so much so much pressure to put on a human Mm -hmm. and then it's just multiplied so much more for it to be on an adolescent. Yeah. And it really goes back to that whole community surrounding the person because this young woman that was suicidal had suicidal thoughts, didn't feel comfortable going to a teacher, a parent. She went to a friend. Yep. And that's, it's, I mean, that's part of that surrounding group that so many people, you know, a lot of parents, Philip, tell me that, they say, my daughter isn't online. And they'll insist their daughter isn't online. But what they really don't know, and I get this call a lot, or we've seen this a lot, or we, we hear from law enforcement that, that we speak to in our programs, they say, actually, oftentimes an abduction will happen because the kid is online at their friend's house. They'll go over to this friend's house a lot, and they don't know that there's an extra device over there. So really, there's that ancillary thing. They're not just going to come to you to access the internet. Mm-hmm. They're not going to come to you with bad thoughts. It's that whole group and, and we have to, so I, I love what you were saying with, with just going to other people and, and expressing I, that I vulnerability. Think, and I think one thing that we can do is, is back to like, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about really listening to kids when they bring that problem and, and we have to do our best. And this isn't just with kids, this is all the time, but we have to do our best, especially with kids, to like silence the advice monster that's inside of us that wants to tell everyone, oh, here, oh, you gave me one sentence, so I automatically know what your problem is, and here's how we fix it. Go do that, now get out of my face, right? And it's like we do that, and it, all it does is alienate us from people. And the truth is like when a, a kid has to feel safe 
that you're going to take their, that you're going to listen to them, that you're going to take what they're concerned seriously, and you're not going to judge them for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what is so key is like listening to kids and letting them talk, letting them share to where they know they're safe and then working, making them feel like it's working together to come up with a good solution instead of just like, oh, well, you're, you know, this is the one thing that's happening. You're in trouble for this, 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 you're grounded. Cause I think a lot of kids, they don't come to their parents out of fear of what the punishment will be, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't necessarily like adults have a hard time seeing solution in the face of problem. So kids find it even much more difficult to to see, to feel like there's a solution at all. They just see the problem and the problem is just so massive in front of them. And we have to give them that leeway and and that support to genuinely listen and not be so quick to be like, oh, here's how you fix it, move on. Get over it, you know? I love that. Silence the advice monster in us. That's so, so true for most of us as adults. especially type A that go, I have a solution. Let me fix it. We'll move on. I got other stuff to do. Yeah. Checklist people, the to-do list. And I'm pointing at myself for everybody listening right now. (laughs) Problem number one is right here at home. Uh, So true. Silence that advice monster. You know, before we get into last word, anybody that's listening to us or watching us, I would be honored if you'd consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing. We need all the help we can get. I mean, I've got a great person on here today. Philip Andrew is just awesome. You can hear how humble he is, how hardworking he is to make sure that we're connecting with students in a meaningful way. If this podcast video or blog post is, is reaching you in a way that you think would reach others as well or helping you help students, please rate, review, subscribe. I'm going to give you a free giveaway at the end, a downloadable PDF that you can have as well. So stay with us for just a, another moment. Okay, so let's talk, Philip, about Uh, Let's talk about what happens, how could students not feel good enough and what might they go to that isn't the right thing? Um, There are, I mean, I I know I could speak from from my experience of of growing up, you know, I'm I'm the son of a cop. My mother was involved in school board. From a very young age, I started to build that identity of an A student. In the same way that people can build an identity of being a D student, a C, we build that identity and we set that standard. And for me, I started to think I needed to be perfect. I needed to, grades needed to be great. I needed to be the smartest kid in the class. I needed to perform well on school. And dude, we're not, we're talking like five, six, seven years old, having this, this self-imposed feeling of perfection in that if I didn't perform well, I, I wouldn't be loved. I thought that my love and my value purely came from what I could accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it was one of those things where, you know, I hung out with a lot of older kids growing up. So it was being around older kids. Am I cool enough? Am I funny enough? Am I smart enough? Do I fit in with these guys? You think that everyone else has it figured out and you're the only one with that weird voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough. And I I never knew how to, I didn't really have anyone that was asking me about that and how to communicate that. Mm -hmm. And so I was always in my head and it was as if I had this secret. I didn't want anybody to know that I had. And then hanging out with these older kids when they were 15, 16, 17, they started to experiment with alcohol. I was 11. So I started drinking at 11. And when I drank, the alcohol gave me that temporary relief from all that spiraling stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started to believe that's the answer. Oh, cool. 
That's what alcohol does. I got all these crazy problems. I have no way of getting rid of them, but alcohol will do it. So that was the connection I made as like an 11, 12 year old kid. And so I, and it was purely out of a place of just not having learned the coping skills before that happened. You know, if it, no one was proactive about it, nobody was, hey, you know, let's talk about what's going on. And nobody modeled what it looked like. I, and here's the thing. I grew up in a very loving household. I love my parents. They're great. Um, and they had the same thing. Hey, is anyone bullying you at school? Or is this happening? Or is that? And, they, and they would ask those questions. But I was never witnessing them be vulnerable with me. I was never witnessing that. And I feel like that's something that's really important is to, to see and to experience that with someone that you trust that that vulnerability is something that can be encouraged, you know? And uh, so for me, I feel very strongly for that. I mean, like it took me years and years and years of, um, you know, I, I won't dive into the whole story, man, but it was like years and years of years of, of substance abuse issues because I had thought that my answer was alcohol. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that it's really important that we be proactive with our kids and, and we talk with them and we share with them because, and here's the thing I'll say, like for me, it was alcohol. Okay. And I'm very blessed that it was alcohol because it was, I started making massive mistakes in my life that were very obvious for everyone to see that I was banging my head against the wall. It was very obvious when you're getting arrested and you're crashing cars and you're getting into fights and you're getting hospitalized, like it raises red flags. Right. So I, there were people that were like, yo, what's going on? But it can happen in like, you know, online kids can be doing questionable things online, getting into to porn. They can be getting into what, too much video, you know, escaping through video games, um, you know, through not being able to handle real life. So they're escaping into this other world. Um, it can be finding someone else who is, who has an issue and latching onto somebody else's issue so that you don't have to deal with your own. It's a, it, it's a, it's grabbing onto somebody else's pain to help them through in avoiding your own pain. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of different things that kids can go into and they dive into those lanes just because of what ends up coming at them mm -hmm. if we're not being intentional about giving them a tool to really be able to, so that when those problems come, they go, oh, wait, my mom, my, my teachers, people did tell me about this. They showed me how to do this. They showed me how to talk about it. So now I know that I can do that instead of running to a drug, to a pill, to watch, you know, to, to sexual things, to porn, to overeating, to all these different things that, you know, we're humans, we can abuse anything, you know, <laughs> like we really can. Yeah. And, and, and we will do things to try to make ourselves feel better. And, and oftentimes yeah. that feeling better doesn't come from, let me tell my parents about this weird experience I just had. That's not the first thing that comes out of their mind. No, not at all. No, I mean, that's not, it's, it's, there's a, there is that feeling of difference of like your parents won't understand. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to hurt, you know, like you don't want to, uh, you don't want to get grounded, right? Like it can be as simple as that. Like, I don't want to tell my parents cause I don't want to get in trouble. You know, I don't, I don't want them to think less of me. I think that's a big thing. So many of us, we want our parents to love us. We want our parents to, to love and care. We want to be worthy, which is why we don't share with people. Mm -hmm. the vulnerable things inside of us because we think, well, you know what, you know, Josh can say a lot of nice things about me, but man, if you really know, if you really knew what was going on in my head, 
you wouldn't like me anymore. You wouldn't say those things about me. You wouldn't want to be my friend. If you really knew how crazy the stuff that's going on in my head is mm-hmm. or the things I've done that I'm shameful towards, you know, the things that, you know, like not to dive into this too deep, but they say like the, the stats on like, you know, kids having like, you know, negative, like sexual things that happen to them as kids. It's like one in four for women. It's one in six for men. So you have a lot of kids that are dealing with that are, you know, you can't, as parents and adults, we can't just put our heads in the sand and think that our kids are fine. Like things are happening to kids and we have to be proactive in, in, in making them know there's answers for it. And Hey, here's, here are the productive ways. And here's how we properly, um, here's how we properly work through our issues. If we aren't being intentional and proactive about that, then kids will find it, find a way on their own. They'll find someone else. They'll find someone else. They will find someone else. Someone else could be alcohol. Thank God for you. It was alcohol and didn't lead to another substance. Uh, There's, there's all kinds of substances and alcohol is just the start. Yeah. I can, I can say in, in Los Angeles. So there is a meeting, there's a uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. It's actually an NA meeting and Narcotics Anonymous. And it's called Never Had a Legal Drink. And it is a group of it is a group of people that all have got, got sober before the age of 21. Wow. So you go to these meetings and it's kids talking about being hooked on heroin at 14. Kids that were doing crystal at 13 years old. So, and, and it's, not all, it's, it's not all the kid from that side of the tracks who you always knew there was something wrong with. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so as, that's just what, where I'm at is like, we're in this thing together. The, 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 the addiction does not care your economic situation. It doesn't care what class you're from, how much money you have. It doesn't care if you're black, if you're white, if you're Mexican, if you're Asian, it does not care. Mm-hmm. The drugs, that feeling of inadequacy and then trying to fill that void with something else and then the destructive patterns, it does not care. Even if at times in our society, we are trying to divide ourselves into different class, it doesn't care. We're yeah. all in this thing together and putting our head in the sand and acting as if it's somebody else's problem it's just, it's not a smart, it's not a smart game plan. If the drug had a goal, it would want us to fight about classes. The drug yep. would want us to think it's going to be the person down the street that does it, not us. Yep. Uh, the drug would win if we thought it's someone else. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a really good point. Boy, we, we've covered a lot. How to connect with students in a meaningful way, talking to them. I really think you've hit on some great, great things. If you don't mind, I'd like to review some of your notes, some of the stuff you said. Telling kids they can come to us, but more importantly, modeling what that vulnerability looks like so kids see that it's a two-way road. Um, If you're not feeling good enough, there are other substances students will go to or other people students would go Mm -hmm. to. Treat kids like they're five years older than they are. Love that. I think that's amazing. Um, we need more mentors and less complainers. That's super, super powerful. The price of privilege, how it's not just, um, it's actually high income people that can have kids that realize that there's medicine in the medicine cabinet and can become addicted, right? We see that in all over Southern California and silence the advice monster in us when a student comes to us, because we may know it's right, but they do not want to hear that. They just want to vent. This is amazing. Thank you. How do you feel? I feel great. And I really appreciate you letting me, uh, you know, us having this conversation. I, I have so much respect for the work that, that you and your organization has done with 
with educating kids, with work, with partnering with educators and teachers and parents to really just educate people. And, and you have such a heart for, for the kids. And I think it's, it's, it shows in the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you guys work. And uh, to even just for me to be able to kind of, you know, sit and talk with you and communicate and, and talk about these things that we, we both care so much about and we're passionate about. Um, it, it's, it's an honor and it's humbling. And I just, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. That's really, I'm honored. Thank you. And I'm, thank you for your time today. This is super easy, super fun. You have so much to give back to students. Uh, we're going to link to your website below. Anybody that's listening to this, please rate, re- subscribe, and review. We need all the help we can get to share our message with all of North America. My dream is 550 million people so that we can reach them to teach them how to be safe online and to shine online, to use these mm-hmm. tools in a positive way that makes sure that it's not a pastime. Instead, there's a purpose. And I want to share all, with all of you today for just the next moment, I want to give you a free download you can visit. Uh, it's smartsocial.com. You can download my free guide. We've spent a bunch of time building this. It's called How to Navigate Social Media with Your Student, a Guide for Parents. And you can click the links below or go to smartsocial.com newsletter. It teaches you how to monitor your kids online in a healthy way using Google, a free tool that I don't get paid by, but it actually is really cool because it gets the kids thinking. And you show you do it without your kids, then you do it with your kids. It starts a dialogue. And it gives you activities you can do offline. It's kind of fun. All kinds of things you do to actually develop offline screen time and get your kids motivated about college and career. And then it teaches you how to take photos and put them online in a positive way to share them on social media in a way that turns their Instagram into a portfolio instead of a pastime, into something that is the resume instead of just being silly. My dream is that your kid shines online and my dream is that you are closer to them, you can click the link below to join our newsletter and instantly get a free download of that. I'm so pumped. Uh, Philip, I'm going to leave you with last word. Uh, I love all I, that was all fantastic. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, for, for the parents that are still here that have hung out with us, um, just so you know, we're here for you too. You know, like we care about the kids, but like, you know, as I've become an adult, and, and I've learned and I've seen more, like I love my parents, but they had holes in their game and that's completely okay. You know, and, and now there's a lot of us that as adults, what we want to do is we want to break those. And I don't want to call them generational curses. I don't want to call it that and be so extreme, but I want us to know there's information out there. There's help for us. So uh, the healthy, the best thing you can do for your kid is to be healthy yourself. And to, to really have your side of the street cleaned. And, and if you're struggling at work, if you're struggling in your relationship, if you're struggling, your kids, they will pick up on it. So I just want to encourage all the adults out there, if you're having any moments, if there's anything that you're going through that you feel like you're alone, you're doing it you're by yourself, you don't have a partner, community is really something that's going to be so amazing in letting people in, letting other people know being vulnerable, connecting. If it's someone in your world, great. If it's somebody like, you know, if, if you're faith-based and it's someone in, your, in, in a church setting or if it's somebody that's in a, you know, you get a coach or you get therapy or whatever it is, just know that you're not alone. You don't have to do this thing called parenting and adulting, hashtag adulting. You're not alone. And there's people out there who want to love you and care about you and support you and we're there for you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Everybody that's listening to this today, you can click the link below 
to learn more about Philip and also download your free guide. We want to make sure that you're shining online, but more importantly, make sure that you keep it light, bright, and polite because your kids are watching. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.